Hi, I'm Jeremy Kirk, Executive Editor with Information Security Media Group. Data breaches continued to be top of mind in 2019, with notable breaches at Capital One, the American Media Collection Agency, and almost innumerable smaller ones. Here to speak about 2019 and looking ahead is Troy Hunt, the creator of the Have I Been Pwned Data Breach Notification Service. Thanks a lot for joining me, Troy. Good day, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. So as you look back on this year, what's the most notable trend or observation that you have? Look, I think the thing that sticks out most to me, and maybe this is because it's just very topical at the moment as well, is data aggregators and less so the fact that they have breaches and just more so the fact that there's just so much better data siphoned up by third parties that we have absolutely no idea about. So if I'm particularly thinking about the PDL one, um, this was yes. only about a couple of weeks before recording, 622 million records, including my data. Looks like it was uh, mostly scraped off LinkedIn based on, on all, uh, all accounts. But I just find it amazing that these organisations can operate legally in a modern Western country like the US. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, have these issues. And then the, 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 sort of the really interesting thing about this as well, that wasn't even a data breach of PDL systems. They said, look, we sold this data to someone else, again, including selling my data. And it looks like they had a data breach. And so there's multiple problems with this because then you lead to, it goes to the problem of credential stuffing. It goes to the problem of identity theft where criminals that are interested in having dossiers on people are taking this, this data. So how do, how, do, how do we stop this? It seems kind of like we need more regulation of that market and of how, what companies are allowed to do when they collect data. You know, who are they allowed to sell it to? What's the disclosure with customers, which I think is what GDPR has been kind of aiming for. Well, look, it certainly speaks to the identity theft piece. Fortunately, in this case, there weren't any credentials, so credential stuffing is not going to be a problem, but that's a big enough issue. I'm sure we'll come back to it in this discussion yet anyway. Look, I think on the point of regulation, like that has to be part of it, and we really need to see regulation in the US that clamps down on this. Look, GDPR is, is, is wonderful in many ways, uh, and yes, I know extraterritoriality, but the reality of it is is that when we see individuals approach regulators in the EU and say, look, I'm really unhappy that uh, insert small American data aggregator name here has obtained and used my data in ways I didn't permit them to, I'm seeing direct feedback from regulators, which means passed on to me, where they've basically said, look, this organisation's on the other side of the world, we really don't have a, a chance of bringing a case against them. Now, I imagine regulators are absolutely overwhelmed at the moment. If it was Facebook, it would be a different story. But what's a regulator in the EU, in all practical sense, going to actually do with some small American company who's got our data without consent? Absolutely, yeah. And I wanted to touch on, of course, credential stuffing too, because this is a problem that while this isn't personal data aggregation, this is more aggregation of logins, uh, login credentials, and the reuse of those across services. Do you think people or companies are increasingly adopting better password practices that would, I guess, diminish the effectiveness of those types of attacks? Nope. <laughs> you know, like we're, we're, we're saying this uh, within seven days of, of Nest being all over the news because Nest has got cameras which they put in people's homes which are remotely accessible, yeah, baby cameras, monody family, all this sort of stuff. Uh, not my thing, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. They're putting these in there. And then, of course, the news headlines are Nest cameras hack strangers speaking to children, which is really freaky, don't get me wrong. Yes. But then you delve into it and it's like, yes, because children's parents reuse their credentials everywhere. And it's, it's a really interesting sort of two-sided argument as well, because on the one hand, you can say, well, people should stop using their credentials, and 
then other people get very upset. They say you're victim blaming, and so well, yes, but they still shouldn't <laughs> use their credentials. And then, of course, the other part of it is in a case like, say, Nest, what controls should Nest have in place to ensure that someone who has the right username and right password for an account but is not actually that person doesn't get in. Exactly. And this is a, a hard problem to solve while still maintaining a system which is usable. I've had some very uh, robust debates with people recently where they said, look, services like Nest should just generate passwords for people because if you just generate random strings, you can never have credential reuse, you can never have credential stuffing. Yes. And it's like, yes, but you can also have very, very few users left and no company in their right mind is ever going to do that. So the challenge for an organization like Nest or Disney Plus has been the other big one in the credential stuffing years recently is that they've got to try and be resilient to the correct credentials used by an adversary and still make the system usable by the legitimate users. Yes. And that's not an easy thing. Do you have any idea how to solve that? Look, it's a combination of things. I mean, one of the very, very simple things that I've put in Have I Been Pwned is this Pwned Password Service, where there's 555 million passwords from previous data breaches. They're out there. They're being used for credential stuffing attacks. Stop people from using them. And I bet you if you went through the credentials that were being used for the likes of Nest and Disney+, Plus, you would find a great big crossover with known bad passwords. Now, of course, that still creates a usability problem, so the likes of Nest and Disney, you've got to do the mathematics on this and say, well, how much of a barrier to entry are we willing to put up in order to reduce the rate of account takeover? Exactly. And there's, there's probably a very sort of clear financial model they can put on that as well. Mm -hmm. And at some point, it does kind of reflect upon the brand because, you know, the brand's names get dragged into, you know, for, a, for something that isn't necessarily their fault. If a consumer is reusing their credentials, it's like that's kind of their choice. But uh, it does put the onus on the companies of like, you know, especially when you get sort of imprecise headlines to say these, these accounts were hacked, you know, as well. That's not actually kind of what happened. The credentials were reused and it's a lot more nuanced than that. Do you think that they that, that kind of bad press might push them in a direction to say, yeah, you know, you know what, we're just going to go and we're going to sign you a password or at least give you one or allow you to regenerate an, a different one if you want to. But we're definitely going to ensure that you start off with a unique password. I think it's a question of degrees, right? I mean, how bad does the press have to be in order to force the hand of, let's say, Disney, because it's just such a massive online service. And I imagine if someone was actually sort of counting the numbers there, you'd have to sort of get to the point where you're saying the reputation damage is sufficient enough that we now no longer have people signing up and paying us money. And that is now outweighing the cost that we have to wear dealing with account takeover attempts. Because, of course, they have to deal with these account takeover yes. attempts. There is support overhead that goes on there. I imagine in some cases it might lead to financial reimbursement as well. I'm not quite sure how they handle the fact that an attack comes along with credentials that <laughs> someone else has reused. Yeah. So regardless of how you look at it, there's a cost to it and there's an ROI to be made. But I suspect it's only going to make a lot of sense to start putting up noticeable barriers in front of people, such as generating a password for them, which, frankly, we're not going to see happen anytime soon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's only going to make sense if there's enough cost involved in not doing that. Mm-hmm. Now, we're talking about the consumer side. What do you see on the enterprise side? Do you see enterprises adopting better password practices among their employees and enforcing stronger policies? I think on the enterprise side of things, there's some interesting, albeit gradual, progress towards recognizing that the whole concept of passwords needs a bit of a rethink. And particularly if we look back a few years and we look at the guidance that came from the likes of NIST and the MCSC, where they're saying, 
maybe we shouldn't have arbitrary password complexity requirements anymore because they really just lead to very predictable results. I do this talk about passwords, and I, I've just done this in another series of conferences. No matter where I am in the world, every time I ask these questions, I get the same answers. So I say to people, imagine you go to a website and you want to use a lowercase password register, and it says you've got to have at least one uppercase character. What do you do? And in unison, whether they're like Australian audiences or UK audiences or whoever, everyone's like, you capitalize the first letter. <laughs> of course. Like and then you need a number. What do you do? And everyone says, you put a one at the end. Yep. You need a non-alphanumeric character. What do you do? And everyone says, you put an exclamation mark at the end. And it's just, it's, it makes a hilarious talk, actually, because everyone's saying the same thing in unison. And I'm looking at them going, so how well do you think this actually works? You know, do you think the bad guys might have worked this hard at all? So... Uh, Seeing guidance around dropping this sort of arbitrary complexity requirement, supporting things like passphrases, which might not have an uppercase character or a number, mm-hmm. and also moving away from things like mandated password rotation. So to the point about enterprises, we've seen Microsoft drop that from their baseline requirements for both desktop and servers. Let's not necessarily force 90-day rotation because we have other controls these days. We have 2FA and U2F keys. We have almost ubiquitous transport layer encryption. Yes. We've got user behavioral analytics. We've got all these other things we can do instead. So we can start to look at passwords a little bit differently and look at what actually works in the modern era as opposed to the things that we started doing 20, 30 years ago as the web started getting traction and it was a very different world. Yeah, absolutely. And so looking ahead for next year, what do you think we're going to see? Well, I think there's a sort of few obvious trends. I mean, credential stuffing is one which just keeps coming up over and over and over and over again. And because it's a hard problem to solve with that usability impact or pretty severe financial impact, I think that's still going to feature. The IoT piece will continue to see feature. We've seen a lot of kids tracking watches this year. I did a big piece in April about uh, one particular brand here in Australia. Yes. Only in the last couple of weeks, I've seen two other instances of totally different brands in other parts of the world. And now this sort of stuff is happening because IoT is just becoming super, super, super cheap. It's becoming lightweight. You can stick it into anything. And hey, what's better than a toaster? A toaster with internet. (laughs) Put internet in the sucker and, and we can stick a new label on the front of it. So I'm sure that we're going to see more and more of that stuff because it's just so easy to get these things wrong when they're developed cheaply, pushed to market quickly. And of course, for something like IoT, everyone wants to be the first internet-connected toaster. Yes. <laughs> I'm not quite sure why you connect the toaster, but <laughs> you know, that's not really the point. That's great. Well, thank you very much for joining me and thanks for those insights, Troy. Yeah, no problem. Right anytime. I've been speaking with data breach expert Troy Hunt for Information Security Media Group. I'm Jeremy Kirk.